Welcome back to Above the Shoulders Podcast. It's just me today, Brendan, um, and we're going to be doing a little bit of a different show today. So Angie did the show last week, last Thursday, and it was about the four P's of marketing. And she was really talking about her expertise, and we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking about my expertise. So one, I am, as you know previously, I'm a mathematician, and specifically I'm an applied mathematician. And I'm also an avid sports fan. So we're going to be talking a little bit today about basketball and March Madness. Um, what I want to do is I kind of want to <clears throat> talk about, I'm, 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 I'm going to do a new series actually. I think I'm going to call it Mathletes, where I'm going to talk about math and sports together. And I'm going to talk about the hidden influences uh, that, that kind of define sports. How do we win more games, whether that's, high school-wise versus collegiate versus professional, all through a mathematical lens. So, as a mathematician, I see the world in mathematics. But math is what most people think is the study of numbers. But like I said a minute ago, I'm an applied mathematician, so I think of math as the study of patterns and change. And math actually has a whole section a whole subject on the study of change called calculus. Um, but but that's how I see it. I see is patterns. You define patterns and you try to use those patterns to make predictions later. It's kind of how I see math. It's kind of how I use math. So because of this, I'm going to take a look into the world of basketball, specifically because it's March and March Madness starts this week. So let me explain how most people select their brackets. Or or for those, I, I imagine most people, it's, it's an American tradition. Um, so maybe we, I know we have listeners outside of the U S but March madness is a time where we have, um, 128 teams competing to be the best team in the nation that year through the national championship. It's a long road. They have a long season. And then it leads up to this final moment in March where, um, people select their brackets. Now, I don't know what the statistic is to actually picking a perfect bracket, but no one's ever done it. It's extremely difficult to actually pick a perfect bracket. So let me explain how most people select a bracket. So it starts with familiarity. Most people, I mean, there's millions of brackets that are submitted every year. And most people are going to pick through... um, familiarity this is the route they're going to take they're going to pick local schools they're going to pick alma maters and this isn't their fault but it's impossible to watch every game so they watch the ones that are available so they're not getting the full picture of the full field and plus not every game is going to be televised also they go so so they go from familiarity to opinions so opinions, they, they you know they might think, oh, this team was good last year, uh, Villanova. They're historically good, Michigan State. Um, but these are, like I said, all all opinions. Now, now as a math person, I can absolutely honor historical data, absolutely. But but there's some people people allow for some in science they call it woo. They allow for some mysticism, some, I just have this feeling this year. And as a mathematician, you don't, I've always been taught, you just don't have feelings. That's not how that works. If you're going to make an informed decision, you become informed and you make a decision. 
if you just have a feeling, then that's the lottery, and you're not you're not giving yourself the best chance of success if all you're doing is a lottery pick. So today I'm going to be talking about two types of math and how they can help you specifically pick a perfect bracket. Now, I imagine if I'm actually correct with my brackets that this podcast will take off. But I don't plan on being correct. I plan on being as accurate as I possibly can. There's the, you, you can quantify so much, but at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to quantify everything. And there's going to be a turnover that you just can't predict. Some nights, are, some, some, some nights people are just going to make mistakes and, and other teams are going to take advantage of those. So I'm going to talk about what I can predict. And I think that this will help you at least win your pool. So before, let me take us back to before Christ. And let's talk about a guy named Euclid. Now Euclid... And if you mention this name to any mathematician, will instantly be like, ah, geometry, Euclidean geometry. So how does that relate to basketball? Well, well, one, geometry, I'm sure, relates to basketball, but I'm more concerned with how Euclid thought about geometry. So Euclid created this system called an axiomatic system. And what he did was he said, okay, I'm going to come up with a few things that no one can prove nor disprove. Like, for instance, a line is a linear collection of points that go off infinitely in both directions. And I'm not I'm not fluent in all of Euclid's. Let me look it up real quick. Euclid's axioms. So, Euclid's postulates says a straight line segment can be drawn joining any two points. So if you know in high school, it takes two points to make a line. That comes from Euclid. Any straight line segment can be extended indefinitely in a straight line. Given any straight line segment, a circle can be drawn having the segment as radius and one endpoint as center. And then number four. All right angles are congruent. Number five is is a contested line, but it basically says two parallel lines uh, don't touch. So how does this help? Well, what Euclid did, or how does this help with basketball? What Euclid did was he said, okay, I'm going to come up with five things people aren't going to debate me about. These are the five things that I'm going to make all of my assumptions here on out after. I'm going to make, and he didn't just make assumptions. What he did was he proved Euclidean geometry, and Euclidean geometry is like geometry on a flat piece of paper. He was able to say, yes, triangles uh, add up to 180 degrees because of rule number one that I stated, and he would show you why rule number one would help him prove that, and he'd say, um, and theorem 41, which I had already proved previously. So what Euclid did was he had these five rules, and like an upside-down pyramid, he started with these five rules and then built on those five rules, a set of theorems. And then on those five rules and a set of theorems, he proved even more theorems. And this extended out um, quite large. I don't, he wrote a whole series of books on this, I believe, called The Elements. But um, we're more concerned with how this, this type of thinking helps us with basketball. So here's what I want you to do. When you're picking your bracket, I want you to think of 
What are the four, what are the five things that no one's going to argue with you about, but that those are going to be the sole logical deductive basis behind your picks? If you think Team A is going to beat Team B, I want you to look at these four or five things, whatever four or five things you pick, and I'll tell you what I pick in a minute, but I want you to look at those four or five things you pick, and I want you to build an upside-down pyramid of your picks. So some of them, you know, you're going to start with your four or five things, and you're going to look at teams, and you're going to be like, oh, that's an easy pick. Um, I'm going to pick Duke to win in the first round, or I'm going to pick Virginia to win in the first round. And you're going to get a set of teams, you know, and then you can keep building on that. You're going to say, ah, but as, insert, Houston gets farther along, they might be another team. J- just because they there's these stats that you've picked that you believe are the most important in the game. And that's really what I want you to do. Find the four or five statistics that you say, this is what all of my assumptions are going to be based on. Now, yes, there are so many stats out there. We try to quantify everything. In, in athletics, but you don't have time from Sunday until Thursday at noon to do that. Um, and you probably, it, it's difficult to do four or five, research those four or five things on each team. So here are my four things that I think are most the most important stats in basketball. And mine comes from a little bit of research. So I read this book. It's called Basketball on Paper by Dean Oliver. And Dean Oliver listed that successful basketball teams do at least three of the following things really well. So the first thing that's the most important thing is they shoot a high field goal percentage. Meaning that they're efficient when they shoot. So... When they shoot, they make the shot. Number two, they do not commit turnovers. Number three, they get offensive rebounds. Now, defensive rebounds are important, but offensive rebounds are valued more in basketball than defensive rebounds. And four, they get to the foul line frequently. So I suggest looking up those four things. Now, if you don't, If you want to interchange one of those statistics with something else or just completely redo those statistics, do it. (coughs) I'm absolutely okay with that. I challenge you to do it. Because once we if we if we did this, we can start coming up with assumptions. We can we can we can quantify which statistics generally on average lead to better results for brackets. And you become a better bracket maker you become better at predicting games so let's assume you do look up these things and you say hey but look this team and this team are tied they have the same stats well you need to look at other quantitative uh, features you try to try to do minimal gut feelings and it's it's difficult I mean, when Duke played Mercer a few years ago, there was there was quite a few people who actually predicted that. And yes, I can assume some of them predicted it because they were alumni of Mercer. You can knock out a thousand or more right there. Graduated from Mercer, knew someone from Mercer, 
are currently going to Mercer. But they also had five seniors playing. Those are five people that that have been playing together for a long time, for four years, half a decade, almost half a decade. You could have looked that up. So when teams are close, that, that would be the fifth thing that I would look up. Is I would look up what is the classification of their starting five and you know, the two or three most frequent players that are rotated in. So that's for general picking a bracket. How do you pick upsets? This is a little bit more difficult. So picking a bracket, I believe, is similar to, to geometry in the way Euclid created geometry. He started with assumptions, built from there. And I think we should do our brackets the same way. We should start with assumptions, build from there. Picking upsets, though, is difficult. And I think it requires a slightly different type of mathematics. Because upsets are rare enough that they don't happen every day, but frequent enough that we plan for them every March. And I and, and I would I would suggest so Euclid was thousands of years ago. I suggest we use a new type of math to be able to do this. And I and I would pick game theory. Game theory was developed sometime in the 19, early nineteen hundreds. Maybe late 1800s. I can't remember exactly. <coughs> and what game theory is, is it allows to, it allows, uh, uh, not in basketball terms, it allows a person <coughs> to pick the best strategy for them to elicit the best response from their team such that regardless what the of what the other team does they are they are doing what gives them an optimal chance of winning so that's what we're going to take and we're going to apply to the the idea of picking an upset uh, an underdog beating someone that should theoretically beat them like UNC UMCB or UMBC and Virginia, UMBC and Virginia last year. So first I want to start with a definition. It's called a Nash equilibrium. And a Nash equilibrium is a stage in a game where neither team will change their strategy because there's no incentive to do so. And when this happens, the team with the better metrics will win. They'll win tight games and they'll win total blowouts. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about with Nash equilibriums. It might not be intuitive, but after the first five minutes a game starts to five minutes before it ends, that's a Nash equilibrium. You can kind of turn it off. You can kind of turn the game off and then come back five minutes before it ends, and it'll look pretty much the same with just slightly, you know, a bigger score. Now I'm not saying there's not a lot that happens in that time frame that's not important. That that, that I, I I get it. All of that is important. But what I'm saying is we kind of go on autopilot during that time where we're just waiting until there's a certain point where okay, now it's time for the underdog to change their strategy. They need to start shooting more threes. They need to start full court pressing. 
a Nash equilibrium is a stage where neither team is going to change what they're doing. They're just going to kind of let it ride because they got no incentive to do so right now. Doesn't make sense. So here's my suggestion. When you're picking upsets, you need to look for underdogs that force teams out of their Nash equilibriums. That force the game out of a Nash equilibrium. Because teams aren't in a Nash equilibrium. The game is in a Nash equilibrium. They play a style of game such that... Well, the underdog plays a style of game such that the game has changed. And the team that is supposedly supposed to win now has to start changing their strategies to be able to either maintain or compete. So how do you pick this? Well, you need this. I believe upsets come from style of play. You need to look for underdogs who slow the game down drastically. More so than most people. They keep the scores low because of how slow they play. You know, they get their own rebounds, then they continue to play slow. Um, and they just eat time off the clock. Or you can look for maybe how a team plays a different style of defense, like the Syracuse zone. Those are those are ways where a team, let's assume it's an underdog, can play a style of game such that after the first five minutes, the opposing team is still trying to figure out how to play. But what an underdog shouldn't try to do, if they're just... If, if 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 they're not playing a certain style of game that that is not going to be induce, uh, conducive to eliciting some type of change in the opposing team's um, play, then what what they're probably trying to do is they're probably trying to out statistics the other team. They're probably just saying, okay, uh, and and you see these types of coaches. We're going to go in, I mean, it's the classic style of coach. We're going to go in, um, we're going to hit more shots than them. We're going to play better defense than them. And we're going to make less turnovers than them. And at the end of the day, we'll be successful. You see these coaches, I get it. The stoic response is to beat them at their own game. A mathematician's response is completely different. And I hate to say it, but I got odds backing me up. So at the end of the day, you need to look at geometry and you need to look at game theory. Your geometry needs to be a set of assumptions that you build your basis off of. Game theory is when games are close or when you're thinking this is going to be an upset. So when you pick your bracket this year, Remember, pick the four or five things that you think are absolutely fundamental to winning games. They don't have to be what I pick. And after that, when you get to, let's say, okay, you think, oh, man, Murray State, Marquette. Maybe get to some other teams that you think could, could potentially, I think Belmont might, might make a run. Start using game theory. Why? Are they being successful? Are they forcing a non-traditional game? Or 
Are they just statistically good? Maybe they, maybe they're just a small school that's that's statistically good this year. Just focus on the numbers. Take the gut instinct out. Take the, well, they are always good. That type of mindset out. Change the way you think about this. And that's gonna wrap up our post for tonight. I appreciate you spending your time with us. Um, we hope that this was enlightening. Angie will be back on Thursday. And I think when I do my own podcast, um, these days where you know Angie's busy and I have to do my own, I think I might continue to do a mathlete series. I might try to combine math, athletics, and I might do it a little bit more in depth. Like I might do it into uh, baseball's huge into sabermetrics, but and so so maybe I'll do maybe I'll do uh, the theory of the hot hand and how it's completely false. There's no such thing as a hot hand in any sport, whether that's basketball, um, whether it's football, whether it's catching in football. There's no such thing as the hot hand or the hot bat for that matter. Statistically, mathematically. Well, again, we appreciate it. My name is Brendan, and this is Above the Shoulders Podcast. Thank you, and have a great night.